Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Yes? Oh, there we go. Smooth. Okay. This is the first, fourth Sunday in Advent, and it is the Sunday when we celebrate the gift of love poured out in Jesus. This gift of love, and we know that God is love. God is many things, but when we think about who God is, we say God is love. And if God is love, Jesus is love. And if Jesus is love and we are followers of Jesus Christ, then we are called to be love in this world. But here's the thing. We can talk and talk and talk about love and never uh, make sense of what this love of God in Jesus Christ and in us as his followers really is. The only way we are able to know what love is, is when we see it in action. We only know love when we experience it. So take, for instance, say, oh, you're at somebody's wedding, and you're at the ceremony, and there they are. They're professing their love for each other, and it's so moving and tender. And then you get to the reception, and the groom and the bride are busy flirting with everybody else. And you're going to say, well, what kind of love is this? Because that doesn't look like just married love. Or maybe we know love best if we are a parent. Uh, Probably the purest form of love is the the kind of love uh, that a parent has for their child. And, you know, when I was an infant, my mom told the story, which I have to assume was true. I was there, but I don't remember it, that she was uh, carrying me down the stairs of the house, and when she got to the very last step, she tripped. And when she fell, of course, she put out her elbows because a parent is going to want to protect the child at their own expense. Falling on our elbows is sometimes what love looks like. And so when we come to this story of Joseph, we can 
get a good idea of what that love of God poured out in the world looks like. You know, I just would say we could also take the story of Mary in Luke and the angel coming to Mary and we could preach almost the very same sermon. These two people are parallel. There's, there's no doubt about why God chooses Mary and Joseph to be the parents of Jesus because they both show us what love looks like. And the first thing we are told about Joseph is that he's a righteous man. Now, for you and I, a lot of times we hear righteous and we think, you know, this, this perfectly, you know, churchy kind of person who is righteous. Uh, but really, when you're looking at, at the biblical term righteous, doesn't mean perfect. None of us are perfect. We're all going to fall short. But righteous is about this desire to please God. Do you desire to please God in the things you do? Do you desire to do God's will? That's what it is to be righteous, to be right with God. And God knows our heart. God knows if we truly desire to be right with God. So Joseph really tries to be right with God. But, you know, there's this interesting thing about the word righteous in uh, the scriptures. Uh, it's dikaios, uh, dikaios, I should get my Greek expert. It's dikaios here in the New Testament, but there are a couple words in the Old Testament that speak of righteousness, and sometimes it's translated as just, just, fair, right toward others. You, you know, you're not just toward God or fair toward God. You're just or fair toward other people. Now think about this. When it says Joseph is a righteous man, it's saying both he's right with God and he's right with others. He tries to do the right thing by God and he tries to do the right thing by others. This is who Joseph is. That looks like the love of God and the love of neighbor at work in Joseph. This is what love looks like. But here's the thing. When you know this about Joseph, you can begin to see the moral dilemma that he now faces. He is told somehow that Mary is with child. And in the ancient world, marriage was this sort of two-step dance where, first of all, in public, uh, you would uh, covenant together to be husband and wife. So they've already done this first stage where they publicly said, we are uh, husband and wife, we are married. But then it could be months before the woman would actually go to the man's house and live with him. So we don't know why in this case. I mean, may, maybe Mary was a little bit too young and, you know, to, to move on over with Joseph. Or, or maybe her mom said, I, you know what, I still need you around the house for a little bit. Or maybe dad said, nope, I'm not ready to let you go. We don't know why, but we know for a fact that Joseph had not been with Mary. He knows this child cannot possibly be his. And if, if he were uh, simply a man of the law, well, he would get angry. He would publicly humiliate her. She'd probably be stoned to death. But you get this sense 
that Joseph gets on his knees, that he prays and he says, God, what am I to do? How am I to honor you, God? And how am I to do the best thing possible for this woman, Mary, who you have to, you have to assume he thought she was also a righteous woman or he wouldn't be married to her. What do I do so that she can still live? And after this time of wrestling and, and this dilemma, Joseph, he, he resolves. He makes up his mind. He says, you know what? I'll just send her away quietly. Now, listen, you know, in, in ancient Israel, for a man, the firstborn is a very important person. Now, especially if it ends up being a firstborn boy, because it will not only be the way they continue to live, because in Judaism, they, you know, no idea of the afterlife, really. They were thinking about their descendants as how they continue to live. And secondly, not only that, but the firstborn is the one who inherits everything. So he's faced with this, gosh, if I take this kid in, uh, potentially this, this one who isn't mine could have everything. And not only that, how embarrassing for me. But he also must realize, you know, maybe she was taken advantage of. Maybe, maybe it's not really her fault. I don't know. But he resolves. And then he falls asleep. He's going to sleep on his decision. And this is when we are told that an angel comes to him in the dream. And the angel says, you know, don't be afraid. Go ahead, take her as your wife because the baby's from the Holy Spirit. Now, if I'm Joseph, I'm like, right. <laughs> what does that even mean? You and I, you know, we read that now and we go, oh, we know what that means, God's son. No, he doesn't know what that means. Huh, okay, all right. And then the angel says to him a second thing and says, uh, you will name him Jesus, Yeshua, because he's going to save the people from their sins. Now, to us, we're like, oh, our Savior. But remember, he is a righteous Jew. The Messiah that he's waiting for is a king like David. It's going to be someone who's going to save them from Rome, not from their sins. What does that even mean for him? Once again, the angel is announcing things to him, and he's like, yeah, okay. You see... So often when God shows up, God shows up in ways we don't expect. When God shows up, the answer is an answer we haven't been looking for. When God shows up in our lives, so often it's like, wait a minute, what? What? You see, there is a difference between living as a person of the church who knows the rules, who knows the regulations, who knows the do's and don'ts, who knows the book of discipline, and there's something to be said for the person who's living open to the spirit and to uh, the surprising possibilities of the living God. You see, love looks like and openness to God. I was thinking, as I was sitting there, that the cross is such a symbol of openness. This openness, arms thrown wide open for God to do what God will do. You know, so often we wrestle 
we come to a decision, we make up our minds, and then nothing God can do will shake us off the place we've arrived at. We know what it is we want God to do. We know what it is we think we should do. And then God shows up and says, are you open enough to hear something different? And Joseph says, yes. You see, Joseph is willing to fall on his elbows for God. Joseph knows that this probably still isn't going to be in his best interest. Joseph knows that there's a lot of strange things that are probably likely to come. Uh, Joseph knows he may be ostracized still by the society. This is not necessarily in his best interest, but he also hears the angels say, one, it is what God is asking, and two, it is going to be for the good of a lot of others. It will save the people. This is what love looks like. Love is able to set aside our own expectations. Love is able to even set aside what others might expect or think. Love is open to that mystery and incredible movement of God that is willing to do things that is beyond what we can imagine or hope for. Love is, in fact, willing to fall on its elbows and stretch its arms wide and let God be God. So in this week, leading up to once again peering into that manger, to this gift of God given to us in Jesus Christ, we have to ask ourselves, am I living right with God and right with others? Am I willing to set aside my own expectations and decisions and path for how things should unfold? And I'm am I willing to say to God, here I am, let it be according to your will. Because that's what love looks like. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.